Well, good morning. Very warm welcome to our service of worship. And uh, as we gather to worship God, may you know his loving presence here with you. So let's still our hearts before God in prayer now. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for this day when we can come together to worship you. We thank you, Lord, that you invite us into your loving presence and that with whatever else is going on in our lives, that at this point you invite us to be still and know that you are God, that you are our God, that you are the God who loves us completely through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, that you want us to meet with you this day. We come also in the recognition of our need of you, Lord, our need of forgiveness. And we ask for your forgiveness for anything we have said or thought or done that is not pleasing in your sight. And we ask that you would fill us again with your Holy Spirit and enable us in our time of worship to focus on you and know your loving presence with us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Ascribe to the Lord, all you family of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. So let us worship God as we sing together our first hymn, Come Now is the Time to Worship, Mission Praise 1040, and we're going to sing it through twice. Thank you. 
Today, I brought with me a little badge, so you can all see it, I've got it on the screen, it's, it's my Boys Brigade badge, and um, I did have lots of other badges, but I don't have them now from when I was in the Boys Brigade myself, but um, I just wanted to bring this along today, um, now the Boys Brigade did start up last week, but um, just to say a little bit about the Boys Brigade, it's uh, part of a church organisation, part of the wider church, but it's also, it's like a, a boys club where you can do lots of fun things and you can do projects and learn new skills and earn badges. And also each year the boys uh, and the leaders um, in the boy, and the staff in the boys brigade make a promise to support the activities of the BB and to be loyal to the BB, which and loyal is another word for being faithful. And so that's... Uh, that's what we're really thinking about today, it's all about being faithful. And last week, we were uh, hearing how God was faithful to Abram and keeping his promise to Abram and his wife, Sarah, um, that they would have a child, even though they were very old, and that would be the start of having a big family. And God did what he said, he he kept his promise, he was faithful to them, and he gave them Isaac. Well, in today's story, we're going to be uh, hearing how Abraham had to trust that God would keep him his promise, even when something very difficult was going to happen that he didn't understand. Abraham, however, trusted and knew that God's love would never fail. And so as I tell the story today, um, I'd like you to all listen very carefully for a particular phrase that I'm going to say. It's God's love never fails. Because we're going to do some actions with those words. When I say God's love never fails, we do these actions. God's love never fails. Now the never is kind of like never. Now if you're sitting next quite close to someone else, just be careful when you do the never fails. You don't want to give them uh, a chop in the side or whatever. But um, So it's God's love never fails. Okay, you've got that one, one more. God's love never fails. Okay, so be listening for those words in the story and uh, we'll begin. Abraham loved his baby son, and every day he thanked God for keeping his promise to give him a son. God's love never fails, he said. Abraham smiled as Isaac learned to walk. God's love never fails. Abraham smiled as Isaac learned to read and write. God's love never fails, he said. Abram smiled as Isaac learned how to hunt with a bow and arrow. God's love never fails, he said. One day, God asked Abraham to take Isaac to a place three days' journey away and sacrifice him. Now, it was a custom in those days for people to kill animals as part of their worship to God, but never people kill Isaac. Well, Abraham didn't feel like smiling now. What could God mean? But Abram thought, God's love never fails. So he and Isaac loaded their donkey with wood and set off. Three days later, as they climbed the mountain, Isaac said 
Father, we have wood and hot coals to start the fire, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? God will provide the lamb, replied Abraham. God's love never fails. So Abraham and Isaac built a pile of stones and wood to put the sacrifice on, and then Abraham spoke to God. God, you know I love you more than anything, even more than Isaac, who I love very much. I know that you always do the best thing, he prayed. And just as Abram was about to sacrifice his son, suddenly there was a voice from heaven. Abraham, don't hurt Isaac. I know that you really trust and obey me. Abram looked up and there in, a, there in a bush was a ram caught by its horns. And so they had a, something to sacrifice. God could be trusted to do the right thing. And as Abraham and Isaac worshipped, God repeated his promise to bless Abraham and his family. God's love never fails. Well, that's amazing and quite a difficult story. But Abraham trusted God even when he didn't really understand what was happening. All he knew was that God's love never fails. And that's something good for us to remember as well. And I wonder whether we could trust God like Abraham. Well, God wants us to trust him when things happen that don't un we don't understand so that we will remember that he is always faithful to us and that he won't let us down. So we're going to pray now and give thanks to God that he is faithful to us and that he will help us, even with the difficult things. Let's pray, and we're going to say the Lord's Prayer as well. Thank you, Father God, that you are a faithful God, that you always keep your promises to us, big and small. Thank you that we can trust you, and that you never let us down. Help us to remember that your love never fails. And we thank you, Lord, for your love for us in Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We're going to continue our worship as we sing now when we walk with the Lord, trust and obey. Mission praise number 760 and we're singing the first two verses. Thank you. 
The last few weeks we've been sharing some stories of faith and uh, today I just uh, thought we should uh, think about our own stories of faith and uh, what I mean is things that we can give thanks to God for. So as we go into our time of praying for others, um, just want you to take a, a moment and think, think back over the last week or the last month or however long you want to go back and think of something that you can give thanks to God for because that's a story of God's faithfulness to you in your own life and uh, I'm going to just lead us through just the first part of our prayer just giving thanks that we can all silently give thanks to God for those own our own stories of faith but also to ask God to help us to be able to share some of the good things that ha- happen to us that he gives us with other people because that encourages other people as well um, to think that God is faithful too and that they can look to him. So let's um, just take a moment or a moment uh, before I open uh, our, our prayers and just have a think about things that you can be th- thankful to God for in your own walk with him. Gracious Heavenly Father, in the silence now, we bring before you our thanks for the ways that you have been working in our lives in the last week or recently. We just bring them before you now. Teach us, Lord, to learn to turn our thanksgiving into prayer and our prayers into sharing your goodness with others. Give us opportunities to share our stories of faith. We ask in Jesus' name. Almighty and sovereign Lord, we bring before you now our prayers for others. We pray for our church groups and organizations starting up at this time for another session. We pray for your blessing on them. We pray for your provision for uh, all the leaders and those that are helping. Lord, we pray um, for those taking part in the Alpha course. We pray um, that they may come to a fresh and a new understanding of you and your love. We pray for the churches in our local area and our local church cluster as we as we share the good news of Jesus. We remember our schools, our colleges, our universities, our nurseries, our other places of learning, Lord. We pray for the staff and students who have returned or will be returning for your blessing and your Lord that um, we pray especially for Christians in those places that you would help them to be a good witness for you. We remember our health and emergency services. We thank you for them. We pray for your strength and enabling for them. We pray for your blessing and upholding of our queen and her family. We ask for wisdom and direction for our governments in Westminster, Holyrood, and locally. We pray for your enabling for the new Prime Minister beginning this week. And for our wider world, Lord, we 
remember the many places of need. We remember Pakistan with the flooding and we pray, Lord, for that relief effort. We pray, Lord, for many nations and people to respond. We remember the war in Ukraine. Lord, we pray for peace. We pray, Lord, for your way forward for all the nations. We remember those who are um, in need of, uh, because of the economy and the fuel crisis. But Lord, we pray for a way forward for us and our European neighbors. And Lord, we remember other conflicts and poverty around our world. And Lord, we ask for your people to be responding to all these needs. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For those who grieve, may they receive your comfort, the comfort of your spirit. For those who are sick, may they receive the healing of your presence. And for those who are troubled, may they receive your peace that passes understanding. God of hope and love and life eternal, may your kingdom come among us, in us and through us. And may we live all of our lives for your glory until we join with your, all your saints and your holy angels in the unending worship of your name through Jesus Christ, our living Savior. Amen. We sing now in our next hymn. My Jesus, my, my Saviour, Mission Praise number 1003, and we're going to be singing it through twice.
The Old Testament lesson is taken from the book of Psalms, Psalm 63 and reading the whole Psalm. Psalm 63 and at verse 1. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be satisfied as with the richest of foods, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him while the mouths of liars will be silenced. Our gospel lesson is from the gospel according to John. John chapter 4 and reading the first 26 verses. John 4 and at verse 1. Now Jesus learnt that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, 
the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Amen. God will bless to us these readings from his holy word. Let's uh, come before God's word in prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the one who comes to us in our greatest need and that you have come to us through our Lord Jesus Christ and we uh, welcome you today to speak to us by your Holy Spirit through your word. We ask, Lord, that um, however we have come today that we may know that you have something to speak to us, to say to our hearts, to uh, speak into our lives. And we thank you, Lord, that we can come to worship you, knowing that you 
um, love us completely and that you invite us to listen to all that you have for us. So open the eyes and ears of our hearts that we may see and hear all that you have to say to us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last Sunday we were thinking a little bit about the call to worship in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Uh, rejoice in the Lord always. And uh, again, I say it, rejoice. It's, uh, it, it's, these words were quite a challenge we were thinking about, but also um, how powerful it is to um, to choose to praise God even in the most difficult times to turn our attention to God, giving him our thanks and praise for who he is and his goodness to us. And we saw from the story of Acts chapter 16 how Paul and Silas, um, beaten and imprisoned for their faith, praised God and the result was that their jailer was set free from fear to have faith in God and his family uh, became followers of Jesus. Well, today we're going to continue to think about the importance of worshipping God. But instead of thinking about the importance of praising God always, we're going to be looking at our attitude in worship. One of the best known parables of Jesus was about someone with the right attitude in worship and someone with the wrong attitude. It was his story of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke chapter 18. And in that story, uh, the two men went to the temple to pray, but rather than coming to turn his attention to, to God, the Pharisee was focused on his own religious works and comparing himself favorably with others. And when he saw the tax collector there, his prayer, if you can call it a prayer, went along the lines of, thank you, God, that I'm not like that tax collector or other sinners. Thank you, God, that I'm so religious and better than other people. The tax collector, however, was focused on God and he saw his need. He recognized his own sins and failures and he cried out to God for mercy. This, of course, was the prayer that God recognized. For as Jesus said, it was the tax collector, not the Pharisee, who went home justified before God. The Pharisee was focused on the rules and the regulations. His worship was about him and what he did and how much better that made him than other people. The tax collector, however, was focused on his relationship with God. And because of this, he saw himself in the light of who God is. And that led to the right response of humility, of seeking to be restored and forgiven. The focus of true worship then begins with turning our attention to God in order that we might come into a deeper relationship with him. And this, this should be the, the, the focus of all our worship are turning our attention to God with the purpose of coming into a deeper relationship with him. 
One of the other passages in the Bible in which the question of true worship versus false worship comes up um, is, is from our gospel reading today, the story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 14. And it's such a, a wonderful story of God's love and grace. And um, I have to say, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's, um, it, it, Jesus just shows such compassion. And as a Jewish man, he breaks through the barriers of race and gender to engage the Samaritan woman in conversation. And it wasn't just that she was just any woman. This was a woman with a, a reputation locally who had been through a string of relationships with men. And she was shunned by her neighbors. And so she had to get water from the well at the hottest time in the day when no one else would venture out. But Jesus, with the simple request for a drink, opens uh, a way to speak to her about how she might find real life in him and be refreshed by the living water of God's spirit who gives eternal life. And when Jesus tells her about her life, she realizes that this is someone special that she's, she's speaking to. And perhaps feeling a little bit uncomfortable, she tries to deflect the conversation and divert it away from herself onto a religious subject. She brings up an old controversy between Jews and Samaritans over the right place to worship God. She says, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the, that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now we might imagine that Jesus, God's son, would have something to say about the theme of whether the temple in Jerusalem was the right and proper place to worship God or whether the Samaritans had some merits to their claims. Having the correct place to worship must surely have been high up on Jesus' agenda, we might have thought. But Jesus said something quite unexpected. Woman, he replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, for, the salvation, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in, in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipper the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. What's important to Jesus isn't the place of worship, but the attitude of the worshippers. Now, to begin with, Jesus is saying that where we worship isn't really the important question to answer. Yes, Jesus foresaw the day when the temple in Jerusalem would be destroyed by the Romans and people would be scattered, so there would be no more worship of God in the temple or indeed on the mountain in Samaria. But more fundamentally, Jesus was speaking about the big, big change that was coming through him by his death on the cross for our sins and his resurrection, our Lord Jesus was opening the way for us to have God's Holy Spirit come to live in us directly. 
The new birth, being born again into God's family through faith in Jesus is the really big deal. Because instead of God's special presence being located in a particular building, when we put our faith in Jesus and receive God's forgiveness and the new life of his spirit, we become God's temple. So we can begin to understand why the place of worship isn't such a big deal for Jesus as it was for other people. Jesus is focused on saving and seeking and saving the lost people like the women at the well in Samaria so they can discover new life in God's spirit. And that is the starting point to becoming a true worshiper of God that we come into contact with God's spirit, that he indwells us. As Jesus said in verse 24, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. True worship, after all, is all about us connecting with God, who is both almighty creator of the universe and who invites us to know him as our loving Heavenly Father. And so there is both a reverence and an intimacy that is called for in worship. A reverent fear of God's holiness and awesome power, but an assurance that by God's Spirit we can also call him our Father and know that he cares deeply for us as his children. And when we think about the the fruits of the Holy Spirit, as described in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, and these fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, we can be assured that the God who we come to worship is all of these things to the nth degree. And so we can be assured of his loving reception and kindness towards us, his goodness when we come to worship him, when we come to him in prayer. This attitude of both reverence and intimacy in worship comes then when we turn our attention to who God is, his greatness and his goodness, his almightiness and his mighty love. And this is revealed in his word. We find out what God is like through his word and we respond accordingly with the help of his spirit. And that's what Jesus is teaching us here. He teaches the importance of both God's spirit and God's word in worship. When he says we're to worship God in spirit and in truth. So whether in corporate worship, when we gather to, together like today's service or our own individual worship of God, we see that God's word is central. The truth of God's word is what anchors us in our worship and in all aspects of our faith. God's word is the standard by which we test what is good and true. Yet we must also recognize that our worship is reliant on God's spirit from first to last. So for example, as we gather 
to worship. We ask God to speak to us, to, to lead us, to remind us of his goodness and to strengthen us in our faith and to empower us to share the good news of Jesus. And we can do that ourselves as well. Each day we come to God confessing our needs, confessing our needs for forgiveness, for strength, for guidance. And he is pleased to respond to us in love. And so as we come to worship God, we have to acknowledge that worship is all about him in order to be open to receive from him. Just as a tax collector in Jesus' parable came in the knowledge that he needed God, he needed God's forgiveness and God's help to worship. So I'd like to, to finish today just with a brief word about how we can ask God to help us to worship him in spirit and in truth. In Psalm 63, we read earlier uh, David's words of his longing for God and a desire for God, even in a, a desert place, a wilderness place. And it was born of this vision that he has of God's glory and God's love, which he wrote about in verses 2 to 5. He said, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. He sees the almightiness of God. And then he says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. He also see God, sees God's love for him. And so he says, I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. He recognizes that in whatever his need is, God can fill him, God can provide for him because he has seen God's almightiness, his power to deliver him and also his love for him. David had a vision of both of God's glory and his love in mind when he prayed. Knowing God's glory and his love for him help David to worship God and to trust him through every circumstance, to know that God is faithful. And we also need a fresh vision of God's glory and his love so that, so that we may also learn to worship him in spirit and in truth and know how deeply he does love us as our heavenly father. So let that be our prayer today. Amen. Let's pray together. Almighty God and everlasting Father, we thank you for your word which reminds us of your greatness and your goodness. We come before you recognizing our needs to see you more clearly and to love you more dearly. So we ask, Lord, that you would, by your Spirit, enlarge our vision of your glory and your love for us. Break through into our minds and hearts that we may see you not 
only for your glory and think that we are distant from you, but for your love for us as well through Jesus, that you draw us close. Help us, Lord, to live in reverence of you, but also in that close walk with you. Help us to know in our daily lives that you are the God who is able to deliver us and to lead us forward, to put your strong arms around us and uphold us. So we thank you, Lord, and we pray that each day we may grow in that understanding of your greatness and your goodness and love towards us. And Lord, we thank you for your gracious and generous provision for us. For you are the source of all that is good in our lives and you delight to provide for your children. And so as we bring our gifts and offerings to you, we ask that you would use them and us to further your kingdom in this parish and beyond for the praise of your glory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And we come to our closing hymn, and uh, Be Thou My Vision, which is Mission Praise number 51.
May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you this day and remain with you always. Amen.